Amen. Well, we've had a sweet day already, but we're going to continue to worship, but we'll do that by getting into God's Word right now so you guys can find your seats. And if you would, join me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around right now. You could just get their attention. They want to give you one. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, uh, take that one. It is a gift uh, from us to you. We love to study God's Word. So we are going to be in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We want you to be able to study that with us. Take some notes if you like. We are in Ephesians chapter 2, celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen. And and one of the results of that, okay, one of the things that we're actually celebrating because of his resurrection is the diversity and unity that exists in his church that is only possible because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now listen, he is risen, as we're saying, not just for you, not just for the people in this room, but he is risen for the nations. Now, I don't know that I really even need to uh, tell you this because I think you already know because most of you, you're, you're, you live here. You get it, okay? Uh, Fairfax is such a, a diverse community, isn't it? I mean, we have uh, people that are from all over the world that live here. Really, the nations are on display. We have people from different cultures and ethnicities and languages and backgrounds and worldviews and traditions and and tastes and flavors, which I love. I mean, I grew up in the cornfields of Ohio where salt and pepper was considered spicy. So I'm telling you, I cannot wait uh, to celebrate and and, and have some fun and enjoy uh, some of the international cuisine that we're going to have at lunch today. But, but, But we have so much diversity here. right? Uh, Around here, uh, your neighbors are from countries you've never heard of, right? I mean, how many times has that that happened to you where you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden they they tell you where you're from? You're like, dude, I don't even know what continent that's on. (laughs) Like, I feel like I got to go back to first grade. Has this happened to you? Am I the only one? Okay, this is normal around here. We have so many people from all over the world. And and, and see, so where I was from, uh, you know, people, uh, if I asked where they were from, the the most exotic place was like Cleveland, something like that, right? Um, but, but around here, we just get this awesome opportunity to experience and learn from different cultures. I just absolutely love that. My wife, uh, Carissa, in fact, this week she had an opportunity to uh, give someone in our community directions to the playground using Google Translate on a phone, right? And that's normal here in Northern Virginia. My question, though, is this. How is it, how is it possible to have all of this diversity and yet have unity in the church? How is it possible that we can have people that that grew up on different sides of the globe that speak different languages that gather together here to worship? I mean, how is it possible that we have have students and empty nesters and and young families and and, uh, people that are in completely different stages of life that are finding community here together? How is it possible that we have UVA fans and Virginia Tech fans sitting next together? is Is that weird? How is it possible that we let Dallas Cowboy fans in the building? How is it that, that, that we have a worship leader that's a Miami Marlins fan? How is that possible? Okay, that one's on me, actually. I didn't ask the question before we hired him. My bad. So, Phil, wherever you're at, I love you, man. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm glad you're here. Listen, we, we, we live, there's so many things that, that, that divide us, and, and this world is so full of, of division and walls that separate us and divide us. I'm not, 
I'm not at all making a, a political emphasis there. What I'm talking about is these metaphorical walls that we're all tempted to put up to try to protect ourselves when, when we become uncomfortable uh, around people that are different than us, that, that, that we don't understand because we don't understand their language. They eat crazy food. Maybe their family goes to a mosque or a temple or they have, they have holidays that, that we just don't get. They, they grew up on the other side of the tracks or they vote on the other side of the aisle or they spend their money differently or they, uh, they dress in different clothes or I have no idea where they learned how to drive or, or, or they, they just kind of they, they have a different lifestyle and all this. What, what's shocking is that we can have all of this diversity and yet still there's unity in the church where there could easily be division. And I want to tell you this morning the reason for that is because of Jesus. I think about this is a message for all the nations, right? And historically, we think about how the church started. It really started with this shocking discovery that the tomb was empty and that news started to spread and it really started this movement that goes beyond all borders and language barriers. And, and what we're going to look at this morning is, is, is the difference that that event makes in you personally and also in the world. So if you're taking notes, here, we're going we're gonna to jump into Ephesians chapter 2, but, but here's the big idea that we're going to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, note this. He is risen, amen, and that's good news for you, and it's good news for people of all nations. Let me show this to you. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. You follow along with me as I read. Paul says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of obedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, love that, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. In them. All right, let, 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 me, let me give you a couple pieces of good news, okay? Here, here's the first piece of good news, and, and this one gets really personal. Because he's risen, you can have life instead of death. That is what we're celebrating here today. That this is really your testimony. That this is how God stepped in and changed your story. There came a point where something happened to you that just radically changed who you were. And there's a clear distinction between who you were before you knew Christ and afterwards. You're not the same anymore. That's your testimony. I know some of you are like me. If you... Um, 
Maybe I, I, I came to understand my need for salvation when I was like five years old, okay? That happens. We, in fact, we had a family that get, uh, their, their uh, kid gave their life to Christ this last week. We just praise God for that, right? And we're so thankful for that. But if you're like me and, and you, you, you got saved at an early age, you think about your BC days, right? Your, your before Christ days, and they don't really seem all that bad. Like I might have punched my brother or, or colored on the walls or stuffed Cheetos in the, in the couch or fed dinner to the dog or maybe lied once in a while, but, but, but does it seem like, like the juicy details of somebody who's got one of those stories that you're like, you did what? Like, for real? But, but if the differences in our stories, I want to tell you this. I know, I know that there's a lot of differences. Your story is unique, and yet we all share the same starting point right there in verse 1. Did you see it? Verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's such a pleasant verse to start an Easter celebration, right? It means that all of us are sinners. Okay, let me just be really clear what that means, okay? Sin means that we have broken God's law. That we have, we have disobeyed him, that, that, that he made us, he made us to worship him, he knows best, and yet we have rebelled against our creator. And the Bible makes it very clear that because of that sin, then we are separated from God. Our sin separates us from God, and our relationship with him has been broken. Your relationship with God is broken, first of all, because of what you did. Look, look at it there in the text. Verse 2, it's what you did. It's the sins in which you once walked. You were living in sin. You were acting out on it. And here's how he says, you were following the course of the world. So, so the world does not love God. They're going in the opposite direction. And you, you instead of uh, uh, listening to God, you are more interested in following the trends in your friends than listening to the truth of what God's word says. It's kind of like going right along with the flow, following after the course of the world, and it says, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. Just a reminder that we do have spiritual warfare. We have an enemy of God that is attacking, he is tempting, and he wanted you to just keep on rebelling. So we have all of these outside influences that are pressing in on us. Hey, listen, listen. You cannot, though, we, we, we don't get to say, well, the devil made me do it. Or I know I did some. I know I did some pretty awful things, but but I'm I'm just the product of my environment, and 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 I had a really bad family life, and 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 it, it was a hard upbringing. The reason the reason we don't get to use those as excuses is because of verse three. You see it. Verse three says that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind. Listen, bottom line, we did what we wanted to do, period. It's not like, like whoops, I, I, I didn't, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to. No, 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 you totally meant to sin. That's what you wanted to do. You loved yourself more than you loved God. In fact, the Bible would tell us that, that in our sin, we hated God. You're like, I never hate, I, I would never say I hate God. But that's exactly what we're saying when we sin every single time. We're saying, God, like, I, I, I know that you say differently, but I think I know better on this one. And I want this more than I want you. You wanted to do your own thing. 
So your relationship with God is broken because of what you did, but not just because of what you did. It's because of who you were. Look, it's because of who you were. You were, by nature, children of wrath. It came to you naturally because you were born in the sin. All of us are born sinners. Hey, parents, parents, how many of you remember the time that you sat down with your kids and taught them how to sin? You remember that? And you, like, had some books that were going to help you, and you had some experiments for them to try out, and you're like, okay, sit down here, buddy. I got a, I got a lesson for you. Here's how you do it. Here's how you sit. You remember that? You remember when that happened? No, you don't remember that because it didn't happen, did it? It didn't have to happen. My, my youngest son, Javen, that poor kid is going to be a sermon illustration his entire life. Um, <laughs> This kid lately has been, some of you know this, he has been tricking the nursery workers into thinking that he is potty trained. The kid is two. He's not potty trained, okay? Lord, help us when we have to start that day, okay? But but he has figured out that if he tells the nursery workers, I got to go potty, it means he gets to leave the nursery, and apparently this has been happening like multiple times. If, you're, if you've had to do this, if you've become a victim of this, listen, I am so sorry. Will you please forgive us? My son is a liar. <laughs> and I didn't have to teach him to be a manipulative little trickster. He just kind of figured that one out on his own, okay? Because sin is in our nature. We're born into it, all of us. Here's the biggest problem. There is nothing we can do about it. Why do I say that? Well, well, look at what verse 1 said. Go back to verse 1, okay? Look right at the very beginning. Right at the very beginning, verse 1, it says, and you were, what? You were dead. Come on, tell me, tell me. What can a dead man do? Not a whole lot, right? See, it doesn't matter how much you try, how many good deeds you chalk up to your account, how many merit badges you've earned, how impressive your resume is. When you are spiritually dead, you can't have a relationship with God. You, know, you can't have the relationship. That's like when, when, when somebody passes away, when somebody dies, we, we say we lost them. We, we, we lost that relationship. We don't have that anymore in the same way. You can't have a relationship with God, and if you're spiritually dead, there's nothing you could do to change that. That's who you were. But, but here's where the story gets good. Right, do you see verse 4? In fact, I want you to circle this, okay? Star, put, a, put a star next to it. Underline this in the person's Bible next to you if they don't have it, okay? I want you to have verse 4. I don't want you to miss this. Verse 4, listen, you were dead, but God. Those two words are so pregnant with the theology of the gospel. There's such a, a, a drastic contrast here. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Who did that? God did that. That is a miraculous work of God. The dead guy can't take any credit for that. that that's why it says it's by grace you have been saved. Then verse 6, he says, you have been, we, we, you were raised. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, check this out. This is so cool. Here's what he's doing. He is connecting our story with the story of Easter Sunday morning. Because if Jesus is still stuck in the tomb, then he's just a dead martyr and there's no hope for us dead sinners. 
fact, that's exactly what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, I've got this one on the screen. I want you to show, the, show this to you. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That's a problem. Think about that. If it didn't really happen, then there's really no point in being here today. Don't, don't bother going to church. You just wasted a morning you could sleep in. Like, I just go out and live it up and, you know, while you can, I guess, try to find some happiness before you die. I mean, there's not much else we can say. But look what he says. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If Jesus is alive, if he rose from the grave on that Easter morning, and if we are in Christ, then we have been raised with him. And God breathed the life into our dead corpse, and he raised us up by the power of the resurrection. And the victory that Jesus has won over sin and over death has become ours, and his story becomes our story. And listen, I might have been breathing on the outside, but I was spiritually dead, and then God called my name and I ran out of that grave. That's the story of everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. You are alive. <laughs> Praise God. But here's the, here's, here's the question. Here's, here's something I think we really do need to wrestle with. That's, that's the story of every believer that is connected to this Easter story. But is that your story? Has this happened to you? And if you're sitting here thinking like, I, I think so. I hope so. I hope so. Can I just press this on you? You need this to be your story. Because if you are not with Christ, in Christ, without him, you are still dead in your sins. And all of us, we, we just, we get this. All of us have this sense of, of, of shame and guilt because of the things that we've done. The things that, like the, those closets that I wish that nobody would ever find out. I don't want anybody to find out about what I've done in the past. We all have this sense that, that something's not right in our lives. And Bible's telling us right here, here's what's wrong. You are separated from the God that made you and loves you. That you are a sinner who deserves judgment and who deserves death. But because he is risen, you can have life instead of death. And it's by grace, verse 8. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. Listen, listen. It's God's work, and it's a gift. He's giving it to you freely. It wasn't free. It cost his son his life. But it is free to you, and you can't earn it. 
And so if, you, if you're counting on the things that you can do to try to set things right in your life, to try to be a good person or, or, or be a nice neighbor or give up plastic straws and save some turtles or, or, or volunteer in the community and try to pray and try to go to church and, and stuff the resume and hope that in the end all of your good deeds will outweigh the bad and the scales will tip in your favor. This is the way most people think about it, but, but, but in the end you're really just trusting in yourself and you're going to miss it. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done for you. That Jesus was the son of God who didn't deserve it perfect. And yet he died on the cross in your place. He took your place so that the debt that you owed could be paid. And that all of your sins, every, that, that, even that one, it could be forgiven. It's covered. Check this out. Romans 10, 9. says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, here's the great news about Easter is that he didn't stay dead. Death could not stop him and the grave could not hold him. And he rose in victory, conquering sin and death so that you and I might be raised to new life and live with him for all of eternity. And what he's asking you, the only thing that we do is believe. It's not me. It's not what I've done. I'm just believing in what Jesus did for me and I'm putting my trust in him and you can have eternal life. Man, that's some pretty good news, isn't it? And that's a message, not just for you, not just for the people in this room. That's a, that's a message for everybody all around the nations. In fact, here, let me give you a second piece of good news um, because of this. And, and we're going to, like, step back and just kind of look around the world now. So, so here's the second one if you're taking notes. Because he's risen, we can have peace instead of division. Man, this gets pretty good. We can have peace instead of division. Let's, let's keep reading verse 11. Check this out. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off, peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple, being built together. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so here's what he's telling us. Listen, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have all of this beautiful diversity in the nations and yet unity in the believers in the church. 
that transcends borders and language barriers that normally divide us. Because once Jesus has saved you, if he has done that work, if you went from death to life, then now you belong to the family of God. You belong to the church. That wasn't always the case. Remember that? Look look at verse 11. He's telling you, remember at one time. So, So he's again telling us, go back, think about who you were before Christ, he says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, that that word in the Greek is the word ethne, where we get our word ethnic. It it could be translated nations or peoples. What he's talking about is all the nations, all the peoples that are not Jews. Okay, okay, how many of you this morning are not Jewish? Anybody in this room? Okay, so he's calling all y'all out. All of you are Gentiles, and he's saying that you are, you are called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. That, that's the way the Jews looked at the world. In, in, in their minds, there's only two kinds of people. There's Jews and everybody else. There, there's, there's us versus them. And, and this, this term, the, the uncircumcision, that's almost a racial slur, okay? They, they, they saw themselves as superior to all the other Gentiles. Yeah, all the Gentiles are just inferior, and, 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 and so they're looking down on them here. You're like, man, why are you telling us this? This is not encouraging. Listen, the reason that we're going over this, Paul is not telling you this so that he can rub your face in it, but so that you can appreciate just how amazing it is that we have unity in the church now. There were advantages to being Jewish. God had made them. He chose, he chose them and made these promises to them that through them he was going to send the Savior and that Savior was going to bless the nations. And so if you're a, a kid growing up in, in Jerusalem and your parents are teaching you the Torah, they're teaching you the law, and like, you're, you're going to be familiar. You, you know these promises way more so than, than, than a kid who grows up in Ephesus hundreds of miles away. His parents aren't Jewish. He doesn't know these things. So he says, verse 12, remember that at that time, you were separated from Christ. So he just made a big deal about the fact that we were raised with him. We've got to be with Christ. That's that's such a huge deal for us in understanding our salvation, but that wasn't always the case. You weren't always with him. At one time, you were separated from him, and you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That means you weren't a citizen. You, you, You have no part in them. You're a foreigner. You're a foreigner. And because you're a foreigner, he says, you're strangers to the covenants of the promise. You just don't know them. These things, these are foreign to you. You just don't know. This is like if you've ever been traveling overseas and you've been in a different country and you make one of those cultural blunders because you just didn't know. You know what I'm talking about? Last year I was in Israel, and we were in a section. We were traveling all over the place. We'd been in Jordan, and then we went into Israel. And while we were in this one section, I was trying to show off and be really cool and show some of the Hebrew. I, like, know nothing, but I had a little bit of conversational Hebrew. And so somebody handed something to me in this place, and I wanted to, you know, kind of just be polite. And so I said, toda, toda, Hebrew, thank you. Thank you very much. And then all of a sudden, one of my leaders came over, and he's like, dude, dude, like, don't, don't. We're, we're in a Palestinian area, man. Like, they don't, they don't speak Hebrew here. You should have been using Arabic. Like, shukran, you should have. Don't, don't, don't. They don't know that yet. And I'm like, oh, sorry. Like, I, I, I didn't know. Like, like if, if you're there, if you're part of the culture, you get it. You know where you can go, where you can't, right? And you do not want to make that mistake right there. Not a thing you want to make. But if you're a foreigner, you, these things are unfamiliar to you. You didn't know. And so he says, verse 12, that you, are, you had no hope and you're without God in the world. 
You're foreigners. You don't live anywhere close here. You're totally unfamiliar. How are you supposed to know about God? How are you supposed to know about the hope that's available only in him? You're in a bad place. That's where you were. But then verse 13. Verse 13, you see this? Circle this. Make sure your neighbor doesn't miss this. Verse 13, but now in Christ. There's another incredible contrast because of Jesus. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The possibility of you having a relationship with God was like living in a far distant country. Like there, it, it, it doesn't seem like this is going to happen at all. But, but now, because of the cross, he has brought you close. Problem, problem. Uh, do you think that the Jews want the Gentiles anywhere close to them? Oh, these guys are not friends, okay? This is going to be an interesting social experiment. Let's just, like, you know, bring all these guys, these foreigners and enemies, and put them in the same room and just see what happens. We'll just see how this goes. No, God's even taking care of that, too. Because look what he did, verse 14. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Man, there was some bad blood between the Jews and the Gentiles. These guys did not get along. In fact, it got pretty ugly. Check this out. I got a, I got a, a picture up here. This, this is an inscription that they found in the 19th century. This is in a museum now in Istanbul. You can see this. This was a sign that was posted in the temple in Jerusalem. This is Herod's temple. Uh, can you read that? It's in Greek. You got that? So here's what it says. This is for you. Stay out. That's what it says. Uh, th- th- this was meant, if, if you're not a Jew, there was a court of the Gentiles in the temple, and there's a line here. Don't step foot over the line. This is, this is what the sign says. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Do it, and you die, and don't say we didn't warn you. That's a little harsh, isn't it? Do you, do you sense the, 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 the racial tension and the hatred and the hostility, the, the division that they have here? But see, what Paul's saying is that these walls that once divided Jews and Gentiles, they have been broken down by the blood of Christ so that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. Now, most of you guys know that I went to Bible school because I hate numbers, but this is pretty simple math, okay? Kids, you might even be able to get this one. You might understand this. What he's saying is that the two have now become one. So how many kinds of people do we have in the church? One, his people. And God does not look down on his people and divide us into subcategories. Like, I want all my Chinese Christians over here, and, 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 and let's have our Canadians up there. They're used to being up there. And, 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 and let's have some Hispanics, any of the Hispanics. And don't let the Republicans sit with the Democrats. And, and, and we want to make sure we have our hipster Christians. And we've got our young moms yoga group over here. And, and, and let's make sure we have the uh, older folks. We want to make sure that they have a place to sit. We've got a Marie support group down here. And, and, and we also have a gluten-free section. See, there's so many things that end up dividing us, right? We're split over all of these things, and and can we be honest with ourselves for a minute? All of us are tempted to look at the people and prefer to stick with people that are 
mostly just like us. If we were honest, it's just easier to stick with people who look like us, have the same skin color as we do, sound like us because they speak the same language. We, can, we get each other. We understand the jokes and stick with people that dress like us and eat like us and have the same interests and are in the same stage of life and maintain a certain social status. We're tempted to those things because sin is the thing that divides us. It's really pride and fear. It's the pride that I would look at anybody else and think that I'm better than them. Or, or fear because I, I just don't understand. I'm, I, I don't get it. And, and so those, that, that pride and fear just makes me uncomfortable around people that are, that are, that are different. And at first, it, just, it leads to like subtle partiality. And then it leads to division and prejudice and racism and hatred and even hostility. Look what God's done, verse 16. He has reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The cross brings bitter enemies together and makes them one. Because if you have peace with God, then you can have peace with God's people, no matter who they are, where they're from, or how they're different from you, because we are one in Christ. Man, it would have been crazy to walk into one of their churches and see Jews and Gentiles gathering together in homes to worship and, and have this loving community. And it's not some like racially charged situation where they got to make sure they've got security on standby just in case these two groups start going at it. No, no, no. They are, they are fellow citizens in a new kingdom. They are brothers and sisters in a new family. And all of the diversity is not lost, but the division is. It's not just tolerance. It's not like, oh, like, I guess we got to put up with these people now. We're kind of stuck with, no, no, no. It, it, when, when you walk in the doors of the church, this is what we should be seeing. We should be seeing such unity and harmony that the world looks at that in awe and, and says, what in the world is bringing all of these people together? And the answer is the love of Jesus Christ. Because he is risen for the nations, we can have peace instead of division. And the gospel is for everyone. It all started because this Jesus, who said ahead of time, he predicted that he was going to die and then rise again three days later, and he actually did it. And because of that, he sends us out to go make disciples of all nations. The church started with the eyewitnesses in the, of the empty tomb right here in Jerusalem on that Sunday morning. But that was just, that's just the epicenter of what has become a global movement that goes beyond borders, is not checked by cultural differences, is not blocked by language or racial barriers. It cannot be stopped by skeptics or antagonists. Jesus Christ is building his church, and even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And one day, what's really cool is this, this vision is actually going to become reality where the nations then gather together in heaven and there's going to be this incredible worship service that Revelation chapter 7 tells us about. Uh, one day it's coming when a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, 
from all the tribes and peoples and languages stand before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All of the nations will come together in rich harmony, exalting the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, we get a glimpse of that in the church every single week, and yet we're looking forward to that glorious day. But the question is, will you be there too on that day worshiping Jesus? Will your voice be joined into that chorus of praise? The only way to know that, the only way to have that confidence and to know why in the world we're so fired up and excited to be celebrating right now is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins today. Father, I give you praise for what, a, what an incredible story this is. I, I think about the fact that we're living in Fairfax. We are, we are literally thousands of miles from Jerusalem. And yet this gospel has reached us. Thank you so much that you would see fit not to die for just a group of people and not care about the rest of us. But, Lord, we see your heart is for the nations. And you have brought us close, those of us who are far away. There really was no explanation as to why we would be included, why you would save us. Lord, I'm also thankful that it's not just for the nations, it's for me. It's for everybody who's in this room. We give you praise for that. Now listen, we're gonna keep praying. Everybody's eyes are still closed. We're just staying focused on the Lord. But if, if you would say uh, that you have never really trusted in Jesus before and you're realizing right now that you know that you're a sinner and that you're realizing you can't do anything about it, that you can't save yourself. What I want to do is I want to invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus right now. And you can pray. Here's, you, you don't have to make a scene. Just in the quietness of your heart, right where you're at, you can just pray before the Lord. Just tell him. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me. Please save me. I want to live with you for all of eternity. Just cry out to him. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved you have the assurance of eternal life. If you have done that, I'd encourage you, would you just tell me today after service? All you got to do is just come up and say, I prayed that. Tell somebody. Because this is a day to celebrate what God has done in your heart, what he's done in your life. So Father, we love you and we're so thankful that the word of God, the gospel is the power unto salvation. I believe we have lifted high the name of Jesus today. I pray that, pray that nothing else 
would distract us from seeing you. And I give you praise that this is, this is personal. It is for us. But we lift you high because you are risen for the nations. And we long for that day. We can't wait for that great worship scene in heaven. We may not be able to understand every single language, but you will. And it will be clear that every name, every voice is lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. And we give you praise in Christ's name.